Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you will apply to a particular school being highlighted, you should listen to all of the episodes as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Lastly, if you have any questions you'd like me to cover on future episodes or any comments you'd like to share, please email me at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.collegeadmissionstalk.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce you today, Danielle Toglia, who's the Regional Admissions and Recruitment Manager at San Diego State University. Danielle, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? John, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. It is our pleasure and honor. So, Danielle, let me ask you to give us a brief introduction about yourself. How long have you been in admissions, and how did you end up in such a position? Oh, you're asking me to date myself, John. Uh, but funny <laughs> enough, when I was in high school, I went to a uh, very small all-girls uh, Catholic high school in Jersey City. Shout out to the Blue Devils at SDA. <laughs> uh, my friends would joke, my core group of high school friends would joke that when the admission rep came to visit my own high school, and we were uh, very small, so it was a classroom visit generally, not like the large you know, college fair structure at Syosset or at the Nassau Coliseum for NACAC, I would, instead of asking about majors of the university, would ask the rep what her major was or his, <laughs> and uh, curious about what they did and what their career trajectory was. Um, obviously, fast forward now 30 years later, almost next year, my anniversary. Um, I've been working in, in college admission, uh, starting off in residential life and student activities. But I'm a first generation college student. My parents did not attend. So although they were quite supportive, there was a little bit of lack of direction. Uh, I went uh, undergrad locally in New Jersey, where I grew up, born and raised. And I had really wonderful mentorship. Um, I was involved, very involved on campus. I worked for um, the student activities office, so I planned events on campus. I was a representative for student government. I uh, volunteered through campus ministry. It was a Jesuit school. And um, I just threw myself into everything I could to get involved and to stay involved. When I became an RA, I had a mentor in housing. And my mentor said, you should think about a career, you know, a, a higher uh, in higher education. And I said, hire what? You know, I had no <laughs> idea right, that you could obviously um, continue to work on a college campus for the rest of your life. And um, I applied to a graduate program and uh, graduated with a degree in higher education administration and, and went to work. Um, so I was very lucky. 
um, that I had the mentorship that I did because I absolutely love what I do. And I, I don't feel like I have a job or go to work every day. It's really been um, a wonderful um, opportunity for me to travel, to see the country, to see other countries. I did international travel um, and to advocate for students like me who um, didn't necessarily know all of their options. Well, Danielle, that's a tremendous overview and great introduction. San Diego State University is obviously very lucky to have you, as are we today. So thank you again. Well, thank you. And Danielle, what are some of the things that you personally love about San Diego State University that makes it so appealing for so many students to want to apply and ultimately attend? <laughs> so as you know, John, um, and I will share, of course, with our audience today, I live regionally on the East Coast, um, still in New Jersey, my home state. And I represent um, most of uh, the students on the Eastern Seaboard who obviously are looking to apply to SDSU in San Diego, California. So one of the things, of course, they love is the weather, right? We're sitting here today, winter clothes, uh, you know, sweaters, et cetera, as, <laughs> as, we, um, you know, as we move through um, our seasons. Um, but one of the things I think students naturally gravitate toward for San Diego State is the weather. It really is roughly 70 degrees every day. And, and I always joke to my colleagues that really SDSU is, is as sunny. The people are as sunny and warm as the weather. It's a very embracing community, a very welcoming community. And I think when most students hear the size of the institution, so we're a, a little over 30,000 undergraduate students, which can seem overwhelming for most high schools um, our size on the East Coast, they're not overwhelmed by that when they visit because it really is a warm and embracing community. And I think that's one of the things that they gravitate towards. But I think like any major university of our size, it has really wonderful opportunities for students, um, not only in the academic sense, um, as we do have um, about 200 majors to choose from, but I think in the social sense as well. It's a community where students can find their niche really easily um, and get to everything um, in terms of exposure. So whether that's an internship, whether that's a social, again, event, um, the beach is 12 minutes from us, so that doesn't hurt either. Um, but I think in terms of gaining access and exposure, we are a city. Yes, San Diego is a city, even though we have palm trees instead of skyscrapers. Um, but given that we're a city, it, it allows students the opportunity to put into practice what they're learning outside of the classroom um, and embrace their major, you know, wholeheartedly. We don't want them to discuss with their parents in senior year, right, that accounting wasn't the right fit for them. We want them to discover, obviously, um, their skill set very early on in their academic career and apply it. And they can do that through internship and co-op, service learning, by being involved in the city. But it's nice to be in a city, but on a traditional campus our size with all of the offerings that we have. And I think that combination is something that really um, speaks to students. Well, it definitely sounds like a tremendous combination. Thank you so much for that overview, Danielle. We really appreciate it. And if possible, visiting campus before matriculating is definitely a very important part of the overall college process. So, Danielle, if a student is able to visit San Diego State University, what are some of the questions they should be asking to help them determine whether or not the school is the right fit for them. So as you know, John, nothing replaces the visit, right? And, and we know that financially it might not always be possible um, as we've experienced the last few years, of course, with, um, with the pandemic um, especially, but nothing replaces that visit, that feeling when you get onto the college campus, right? And you find like-minded students, you're challenged by students that are not like you. 
um, you can really visualize what it would be like on a daily basis to walk through the campus um, and be a student. Um, I think for my students, I'm always encouraging them to do both the formal and the informal process. It's really a nice idea to do the formal, to ask the questions that you might have um, and clarify information, but it's also important to get to know the neighborhood, to get to know the area around the school, right? You're going to, obviously, if you're coming from the East Coast to San Diego, um, live on campus. And what is it like to obviously take advantage of that neighborhood, to have to get on public transportation to get to an internship, uh, to get to the airport when you need to travel home? Um, what is it going to be like if you want to get involved in clubs and activities that might, again, remove you from the campus? And as well, what is it like to obviously take advantage fully of the campus that you're on? What is it like to live in a residence hall with other students, um, to share space maybe for the first time with another student? Um, those are all really, I think, important things to know and to get to know as you're moving through you know, your portion of the visit process. That might not be your only visit, right? You can be visiting the admission rep when they visit your high school, your area, you could obviously be attending admitted student receptions in your own neighborhood, perhaps on the East Coast, um, like SDSU hosts, but nothing really will replace that visit when you step onto that campus for the first time to really determine um, your fit. Well, we appreciate that, and those are tremendous pieces of advice. So, Danielle, let's talk a little bit more about your actual application process. What can you tell us about your overall admissions process? In other words, once a student hits the submit button, what happens? <laughs> <laughs> um, our submit button gets hit a little bit early in the academic year <laughs> um, as our deadline is also um, in November. So November 30th, which I know for most students is a bit earlier, um, you know, for, for the East in general. Um, but the November 30th deadline allows us as a large institution with almost 100,000 undergraduate applications, both freshmen and transfer, to move through the application pool swiftly so that we can get decisions out in a timely fashion so that those students that do wanna to come to visit, right, have ample time um, to schedule um, a flight and, and to get to us. So once the student hits submit, um, we are reviewing, reviewing, and reviewing. Um, I, I don't want students to be concerned if one student uh, from their community hears before them or after them. Um, we literally are just moving through applications as swiftly as we can so we do have a rolling out process generally. The rolling out process has nothing to do with um, your GPA or your requirements, um, even when you submitted your application. It really is us just moving through the information as swiftly as possible. But we do like to make decisions as quickly as we can, again, uh, for the purposes of, of revisiting or visiting um, and making good decisions and doing your research on financial aid, housing, et cetera. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to share that we've teamed up with Dormco to make your dorm decorating a lot easier. Why Dormco? They offer quality and durability, affordability, and a wide selection for bedding to storage solutions and everything in between for your dorm room. So if you or anyone you know is looking to decorate your dorm, see the affiliate partnership link in the show notes for Dormco, your one stop for stylish, affordable, and quality dorm essentials. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast gets a commission, but rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit our listeners. Thank you all and best wishes. Well, we appreciate that. Thank you so much, Danielle. 
And what is the average profile of the current freshman class? And if a student falls lower than your mid-50%, what are some of the things that they can do to enhance their overall application? That's a great question, John. You know, because we're a school that is slightly less holistic, but more direct and transparent about our process, a student who is looking perhaps even earlier in the process than junior year, maybe a, a sophomore, for example, can really think about ways in which they can maximize their ability to be admitted to SDSU. Um, our process is, um, is based on what we call the A through G requirements. The A through G requirements include, of course, all of your academic work, English, social sciences, math, lab sciences, language, visual and performing arts, and electives. And our A through G requirements are a recommendation for students in which they should look to complete before they apply or while they're applying, I should say, because senior year schedule will be included as they apply to SDSU. <laughs> so that suggestion is, as you know, from, from the counseling standpoint, always a, a, a maximum, right, of five, year, five academic subjects, as I mentioned, for four academic years. Um, and, and that would be the, the, the first suggestion. If you're maximizing your um, course selection and working with your high school counselor to complete English, social science, math, science, and language over the four years, um, that's your first benefit, right, of being admitted. Um, the second, obviously, is your grades, right, keeping your grades up and doing well. And we don't look necessarily at rank, but we're looking at your overall grade point average in comparison to the grading scale at your high school. We're also looking at the rigor, right? So if a student has taken an honors course or an AP course, John, and they're doing well, but perhaps not as well as they did in the college prep course, right? They might've gotten an A in the college prep course and a B in the honors or AP course. We are giving them weight in that course because we know that the, the challenge is, is even more intense and the rigor is, is there. And then we're looking at the trend in the grades and how well they do each year from nine through 12. We always like to see an upward trend, but even more importantly, a consistent one. And then we are looking toward major. So if a student is choosing to apply to a college or a major within a college, they could be suggesting that they take a marketing class for a business, for a Fowler College of Business, or perhaps they're applying into journalism and they've been able to take, in addition to four years of English, a journalism course. And I mention that because our A through G requirements are also very um, apparent, again, transparent. So for example, in the English category, we don't allow for journalism as an English course, it is an elective. So they would have to take that in addition to the four years of English. Um, in the visual and performing arts, and we do mean visual and performing arts. We don't necessarily um, uh, allow for students to take woodworking or foods. We do want them to take ceramics or photography uh, or intro to music or band. Um, so we are very specific in our coursework. But if you are doing your research and getting to know us, if we're on your list in terms of an application, then submitting the A through G requirements and maximizing, again, those courses, your grades and the rigor will maximize your ability to get admitted to us. We see, um, as I mentioned, almost 100,000 applications and we admit about 34% of our applications and enroll a very large class of about 6,500 students. 
So um, there's, you know, there's plenty of opportunity to be admitted, um, but we want students to front load, you know, that research. Well, we appreciate the overview and insight. Thank you so much, Danielle. I particularly appreciate how you explained the A through G requirements, which is very common in a lot of schools out in California. So thank you so much for that. So what are some of the things that students do to demonstrate their interest in attending SDSU? And Danielle, do you track such things as part of your overall admissions process? Yeah, I was going to mention, John, we don't track demonstrated interest in terms of a check mark or, um, you know, making any marks on a student's application. And that, so therefore, that doesn't obviously move into our decision making process. But that doesn't mean we don't want students to show interest because that's their research, right? That's their ability to get to know us. And obviously, this is a two-way street to interview SDSU, right? To make sure it's the best fit for themselves and it goes on their list. So showing interest, so any way that they can show interest, coming onto the podcast, um, <laughs> you know, seeing their seeing me at a at a, at the college fair, you know, in a few weeks. Um, or a few months when, whenever they're listening to the podcast, you know, um, maybe being at a national association for um, college admission counseling fair, which usually is hosted fall and spring in the areas, Long Island, New York, New Jersey, um, East Coast, uh, maybe calling me, emailing me, um, reaching out, anything that we can do to obviously bridge the gap make sure we build a relationship, right? This is this is not black and white. This is all gray. Um, and so we want to be sure that students are getting the information they need. They're building relationships so that I can advocate for them in the process. I am obviously their advocate. I work for an office of admission, not an office of denial. Um, so it's my <laughs> job to, you know, advocate for them and uh, to build those relationships. That's going to be really important in, in the process, but no formal um, demonstrated interest in terms of a check mark. Understood. And thank you so much for the overview and the insight. Again, we appreciate it, Danielle. And do you have an honors program? And how are students considered for the program? In other words, do they have to apply separately? Yes. Yeah, so we have um, Weber College, uh, Honors College, and our application process is a separate process. So thank you for mentioning that. So the student can apply to the university on November 30th and then have the opportunity to apply slightly later in the academic year to Weber. The decisions are independent, obviously, though the student would need to be admitted to SDSU in order to then be admitted or not admitted to Weber. Um, I always suggest that students develop a relationship with the Honors College as well to ask questions and probe a little bit about the process um, because the applications are read by the Honors College themselves. Um, The Honors College is not by invitation, as I mentioned again, by application. There is no monetary value associated with the application and admission to that program specifically, but there is money allocated to Weber, um, and we can talk about that a little bit later. Um, But students would get a decision from Weber independently of the admission office, and then they can either choose to enroll or not enroll in the program. It's not binding. There is housing opportunity. Um, There is actually a study abroad requirement. Um, So there's wonderful opportunities for students if they are interested in Weber, including really small, intimate classroom settings, a great way to make a big place smaller um, where you're being taught by the same faculty and meeting with the same students across the majors. So it's not major specific um, while you're obviously continuing your education at SDSU. Well, we appreciate that, Danielle. Thank you so much. And I always put the Office of Undergraduate Admission, in this case, SDSU, in the podcast show notes. 
Danielle, if there are any other links that you want me to share with students and their parents, just send them to me. And of course, I'll put them in the show notes for everyone to see. Excellent. Danielle, I was also curious, as admissions professionals, how do you determine the number of applicants to accept, <laughs> waitlist, and even deny when you receive far more applications from <laughs> deserving students than your seats available? You know, I, th I think this is really hard. I mean, you have to develop somewhat of a thick skin, right, working in admission over the years, because you tend to far remember the students you deny over the students that you admit. It, it's tough. Um, but like any job, I always um, do offer this um, to my to my families when I'm when I'm with them. Um, my job is to fill seats right in an admission uh, year. And and having said that, it's about crafting a class that obviously meets the needs of the institution. So the other thing I always mention, right, is families have no control over institutional need. <laughs> you have to sometimes <laughs> dismiss the things that you have no control over. Um, but every year, obviously, we're looking for similar things as an institution. Um, we're lucky that we're fairly balanced between a, a male and a female population, for example. And so that adds to a classroom dynamic. Um, we have students that apply and uh, enroll from almost every state, you know, in the country and about a hundred plus countries worldwide. So we can tote that we have an international population and a very diverse domestic population. Uh, we were founded as a Hispanic serving institution. So a large portion of our population um, is first generation and speaks a second language fluently. Right? So all of these dynamics that affect who we are as, a, as an institution. Um, we're also looking obviously to fill seats in schools uh, across the majors. Um, and, and this is usually information that's allocated from a board of trustees in terms of how many seats we have to fill. Um, we are part of the California State University system. There are 23 campuses. We all report to a chancellor. And the chancellor dictates to us um, the capacity <laughs> at our institutions. And then obviously the, the campuses decide how that capacity will, will affect the population. We have looked over the past few years to grow an out-of-state population um, because we do want to be geographically diverse. We know that students are um, looking more so um, every year at, at schools that are not regionally based. They want to meet students um, from across the country when they attend campus and live on that campus. So that's something that's important to us. So we've obviously, along with myself, we actually have opened two regional offices over the past three years um, to expand wow. our population. Um, and so that's what we're looking for in terms of, I think, you know, movement. Um, we're also careful about how many students we admit, because as you know, we have a high yield rate of students who uh, then attend. So we need to be careful about those numbers. Um, so we're constantly looking at data, looking at information, obviously taking cues from, from our chancellor's office about space. Um, but our concern is also, right, educating Californians as we are a public institution. So the balance of that um, has been quite interesting with the increase of an out-of-state population, especially over the last few years. Well, we appreciate the insight and the overview. Thank you so much, Danielle. And I know that SDSU doesn't require a formal letter of recommendation from a school counselor. So Danielle, how do you build relationships with school counselors to help advocate for the students? That's correct, John. We don't. Um, so counselors sometimes are, are both uh, joyous about that, right, and have concerns about that. That doesn't mean we don't want to hear from counselors. We have um, great relationships. As you know, I have visited Syosset High School, both for SDSU and my former institution. 
for probably 23 years now. Um, so thank you for always hosting us um, and being such gracious hosts. Um, but we we interact with faculty as well. So faculty letters of recommendation, I'll mention we don't require, and counselor um, by obviously being at the high school, visiting the high school counseling office, um, sitting on panels, um, joining podcasts, um, being in <laughs> attendance at different events. Obviously, um, as, as we know, um, professionally, conferences that we meet at, et cetera, so that we can develop those relationships and build those those relationships so that we can all advocate for students together. So by all means, we want to hear from, from counselors. Uh, we just don't need to do so formally. Understood. And thank you so much for that explanation, Danielle. We really appreciate it. And getting back to the overall application, a student's activity sheet, of course, is another piece of the application. So Danielle, what are the kinds of things that you're looking for beyond the work that they completed in the classroom? So we're always looking, John, at students who first are enjoying the things that they're doing. You know, I always tell a student, if you're not enjoying it, please discontinue it. There's plenty of other <laughs> opportunity. But I think especially in the first year or two of high school, students might not be aware of what their interest is. They might not know what they like yet. And so I think it's discovery right in the beginning of the phase of high school. Once they know what they really enjoy and they're giving their time and energy and effort to it, we do usually like to see some leadership if possible. So always quality over quantity in terms of the activity that they're enjoying. Um, but I also would encourage students not to think um, that they're limited to their high school, right? Some students, for example, have the need to leave high school every day after school when the bell rings and go home and take care of a sibling. Other students perhaps dance and they do that at a dance school locally. Some students are involved in church or synagogue, and they obviously do that all weekend long, where they also participate in volunteerism and, and um, different activities, maybe in the community. Maybe in the summer, they work part-time or even during the academic year. These are all things that a student can do to enhance their application and obviously to provide information to the colleges in terms of what they're doing when they're not physically sitting in a seat. Well, I appreciate, Danielle, that you mentioned all of those things related to the activity sheet, watching a sibling or, frankly, another family member. My daughters were both dancers, and they spent quite a few hours and days and weeks in the dance studio. You mentioned being a part of a church group. Perhaps someone has a part-time job. These are all things that students should absolutely include in their activity sheet. And by the way, students, if you include things like this on your activity sheet, it might be the reason why you're not part of A clubs at your school or whatever the number may be. So again, Danielle, I really appreciate that insight. Thank you so much. I was also- Yeah, John, and you know what, go you know, oh, I'm sorry. Please and, go ahead, Danielle. And in addition to that, John, you know, I want students to understand there's not one thing that's more important than another. Right. You know, students will, will say, what, what sport should I play? And they've never played a sport before, perhaps, <laughs> right? Um, or I have to join X, Y, or Z club because that looks best. Um, there really is no best, right? The students should be doing, again, what they're enjoying, because I think that promotes longevity, quality, leadership in the activity that they're involved in. Yeah, I agree. Longevity, quality, and leadership are definitely very important, more important than which sport, right? It's the one that you like, students. Whatever you prefer, <laughs> that's the sport you should participate in, should you choose to do a sport. So again, we really appreciate that, Danielle. Thank you so much. I was also curious if a student had an IEP while in high school, what services does SDSU offer to ensure that they continue to be successful 
once they're on campus? So every every opportunity you you could imagine, really. Um, and, and I say that, you know, in jest, but we want students, obviously, to be both admitted and attending who are successful, right? Um, not only does it obviously prove in, in things like statistics, right, when we report, um, but we want students to have an enjoyable experience. We don't want them to struggle. So our um, office on campus is actually called the um, Office of Ability Services, um, not the Office of Disability Services. Um, mm -hmm. And this office will allow students um, anything perhaps that they feel is necessary to have them succeed. Um, if in high school they had a note taker or had extended time, they had to sit closer to the classroom rather than far away, right? The ability services office is not only dealing with IEPs, but they're dealing with students who are perhaps hearing impaired, sight impaired, um, et cetera. And we want them to be able to obviously take advantage of these services again to do well, especially at a large place like SDSU. During the application process, I should also mention, because we do require a language, if a student has an IEP and has obviously um, foregone a language because it was not part of their requirement for a high school uh, diploma, graduation requirement, um, they should probably reach out to me um, during the application process so that we can be sure that that information is relayed during admission as well. Well, that's great advice. I really appreciate, again, the insight, Danielle. This has been a phenomenal conversation. Unfortunately, it leads us to our last question, which is, what are your top three pieces of advice you would provide a student and their parents getting ready for the college admissions process? Oh, this is a biggie, right? Um, <laughs> you know, the first thing I would say is it's really important, John, to stay organized um, during this process. Um, so perhaps the family creates a family email account to use for everything and anything related to the college admission process so that everyone's abreast of um, guidelines and deadlines, right? Not the same thing. A deadline is not a guideline. Um, you know, application information, follow up to the application. Um, so whether you're the family that creates an Excel spreadsheet or has a folder, um, staying organized and on top of things is really going to be important over the next you know, few months. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but visit, visit, visit. Um, nothing replaces a visit. Your visit prior to being admitted is a very different lens than your visit after being admitted. Um, so I always recommend um, if you can get there and you're not 3,000 miles away, um, perhaps <laughs> visiting more than once is also appropriate, right, as you do your research. Mm, usually I recommend um, that you not, um, you not start your search with a list of colleges. Um, that's a no-no to me. Rather, I would suggest that you start your list with um, some maybe descriptions of things that you really enjoy, small, large, liberal arts, close to home, far away, um, you know, co-ed, single sex, a major in X, Y, or Z, financially, you know, um, cost, um, so that you will not miss those diamonds in the rough and those really great places that will be excellent fits for you um, if you're following everyone else's lead and um, worrying about the bumper sticker that goes on the back of the car, you know, or where your teacher went to school, you know, specifically. Because <laughs> I know that's sometimes how we start, right, our, our search process. And then I think the last thing is, of course, dismiss the things that you can't control, but control the things that you can. If a school does look at demonstrated interest, you should be showing interest. Um, if a school is, uh, you know, inquiring and asking for additional information as follow-up, you should be returning that email and that, you know, that or that phone call. Um, those are really important things to take note of. 
And then lastly, your decision and the decision of the university is not tied to your self-worth. Um, so, you know, please remember that this is a difficult process uh, for the admission office as well. There are plenty of schools that admit a, a large number of students. Unfortunately, as we know from the East Coast, most of our students are not looking at those places. You know, they're looking <laughs> at places that are um, that are perhaps admitting less than, you know, 50% of the applicants. And that becomes a stressor for students. But this has nothing to do with your self-worth. And parents, if I could implore you, uh, your students follow your lead. So try to celebrate the triumphs, dismiss the difficulties, um, and really work together. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for your time and your insight today. Those were tremendous pieces of advice. It was a real pleasure and honor having you today. And I'm so happy, as I know, that this is going to help so many students and their parents as they navigate through the process. Danielle, I hope to have you again. Thank you so much for all your work today. Thank you, John. It was such a pleasure. And I wish you a lot of luck with your podcast for the remainder of the year. Uh, thank you so much. My best to you as well. Take care, Danielle. Thank you, John. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to announce that we've teamed up with some fantastic affiliate partners to further enhance your overall college journey. So do you or someone you know need stylish dorm decor, trendy college apparel, or top-notch test prep? Whether it's creating a cozy home away from home, flaunting the latest in college apparel, or securing top-notch test prep help, we've got you covered. Check out our affiliate links in the show notes within each of these categories, which we believe will help you, our listeners. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast does get a small commission. But rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit you, our listeners. So check out the links in the show notes and share with anyone you think may benefit. Thank you all and best wishes.